Good morning, North Shore. Hope you're doing well this morning. It's an exciting day to be here, although it's a little strange, as you can imagine, uh, being here by myself. Had an amazing uh, commute over that trestle. I'm never not amazed uh, by God's creation, seeing the mountains. It's just incredible. I, I don't know what your commute was like this morning. Maybe you moved from the bed to the couch. Maybe, uh, maybe you're still, still prone. I understand that. Some of you have probably been for a run and gotten eight hours of work in already. It's, it's crazy, right? We're all in different spaces. It reminded me of Paul. You know, when he's writing this letter uh, to the Philippians, he's in prison. He's not in their physical presence. So many letters, in fact, that he wrote to the church, he was not physically with them. And I wonder if he wondered, after he was done writing that letter and he you know, passed it off to somebody, please give, please give this to my friend who can, who can bring it to the church. And knowing what that was like then, um, he couldn't just throw it up on email. He obviously couldn't do what we're doing this morning. And so I wondered if, if Paul ever wondered, like, is anyone going to read this letter? But he was so passionate, you felt like you were with him, right? That's how I feel sometimes when I read his letters. And I, I think he'd be blown away, honestly, if he could know that, well, he does know, but <laughs> I'm sure it just blows his mind that these letters that he wrote are actually still being read today, right, by all of us. It's, it's an incredible thing. As you know, last week, Tyler uh, took us through the last half of chapter two of Philippians. Paul talked about two of his best friends, right? And Tyler shared about the power of friendship and how Jesus defined friendship and how we can accomplish so much by being a good friend to others. And if you missed this one, it's, it's definitely worth uh, going back and giving it a listen but before we get started, my friends, we're, we're going into the first 11 verses of chapter 3 today. We're going to talk about finding joy in our identity and righteousness through faith in Christ. Before we get started, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. Jesus, I do thank you that regardless of um, where we are right now physically, geographically, we are together. Lord Jesus, thank you that we are one body in Christ, and nothing on this earth can change that. Jesus, thank you that we can worship in spirit and in truth, and that we can be together even if we, we don't see each other's faces. Lord Jesus, we know, we know who we are. You know who the church is. And I thank you, Jesus, for guiding us, for loving us, for being with us uh, during this time. I pray that you'd speak powerfully this morning, that each and every one of us would be touched by your word, because your word is truly living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you for your word, Jesus, that um, endures through everything. Pray all these things, and we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So in his absence, right, Paul's still in prison. He's well aware of these people called the Judaizers. If you remember back even during Missions Week a couple weeks ago, we talked about these people who had an issue with circumcision. They believed that was how you were ultimately saved. With Jesus, of course, but you had to have this practice as well, right? These Judaizers have been visiting the communities 
where he's been encouraging the local church. And Paul, even in his absence, he wants to warn them. He wants to warn the Philippians against the theological bondage that these Pharisees are bringing to the Gentiles as they try to convince them that salvation must include the Jewish practice of circumcision. I want us to read together Philippians 3, 1 through 11. We're just going to take a, a quick pass through it, and then we'll look at it in a little more depth. So right now, scramble, find your Bible. If not, you can download one on the app. It's not going to be leather. It's not going to have your name on the front, but that's okay. You can still use it. So here we go. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has risen for reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Paul has a warning about these Judaizers, these missionaries that are traveling around the country, that are visiting these communities, and they're bringing a message that's the gospel plus, right? He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. This might be too much information, but I'm just going to focus for a moment on this mutilate the flesh. My friends... The word for circumcision, if you're interested, is peritome. It means to cut around, okay? Katatome is the word that he uses here, which is cutting to pieces. See, he's, he's referring to circumcision, but he's using it in a different way. He's, he's calling these guys out. Back in Leviticus, as a priest, you were not allowed to mutilate the flesh. If you remember the prophets of Baal, they cut themselves. Priests were not allowed to cut themselves. It was a disqualifier. 
Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. There's no love lost here. He's calling them dogs as well. My friends, I have a wonderful picture of a dog here. See that? That is Ellie Belly Beisner. Okay? Isn't she cute? If you have a dog in your lap right now, I want you to hold that right up. Yeah, right there. Hold it up to your computer screen. Oh, look at that little cutie beauty. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, right. Beautiful dogs, right? We all have nice dogs. That's not the dogs he's talking about. Oh, no. These are more like this dog, these dogs, right? These are wild, free-ranging, often ill-tempered and even dangerous. These are the kind of dogs that I run into in some of my travels. In fact, those dogs... I was staying in a guest, a guest room on a property, and the bathroom was about 30 yards from my room. So the middle of the night, with these dogs howling and circling me and snarling, I had to go use the restroom. That was not a fun trip, let me tell you. But at least they had toilet paper. These are not, the dogs he's talking about, they're not pets at all. They're not man's best friend. Certainly, these Judaizers were not friends. Look out for the dogs. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's saying, beware of anyone who adds to the gospel. And I think that's a great warning for us as well. Any attempts to impose requirements beyond faith in Christ for salvation is a perversion of the gospel that results in legalism. Paul was not concerned about people bringing a different method of baptism here or worship with or without instruments. Sometimes we get hung up on a lot of different things. He was coming against those who were making salvation about something other than God's immeasurable grace through faith in Christ in his atoning sacrifice on the cross. That's what Paul was coming against here. And that's a major, major, right? Ultimately, these Judaizers wanted the Gentile believers to come under the yoke of Jewish laws that they were striving to keep through their own merits and abilities, right? And Paul continues right after this in, in verse three, he says, for we are the real circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. See, Paul's talking about a circumcision of the heart here. And worship, worship by the Spirit of God in terms of ministering or service. Ministering in a way that reflects God's likeness and his character in how we live. That's what Paul's talking about here. See, there were those who had a confidence in the flesh and a righteousness that came through the law. And this was, in many ways, Paul's identity before he came to know Jesus. And he goes right into that in Philippians 3, 4 through 6. He says, though my, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised. And he just kind of goes into his 
his pedigree in a sense. Circumcised on the eighth day, right? He was also circumcised, obviously, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You see, Paul was faultless in respect to the Mosaic law, but his righteousness came through his birth, right? His racial identity and what he obtained by observing the law. Paul had every reason, my friends, to have confidence in the flesh. I mean, his identity and religious practice made him a Jewish poster child for the faith. But that's, that's not where his righteousness came from, right? Interestingly, Paul had an epiphany. We can go back to the road to Damascus experience. In fact, we'll go back a little bit further than that. Quickly, I'll, I'll go through this. Stephen, if you remember, was stoned for calling out the Pharisees in Acts 7, 51. If you read that chapter, for 50 verses, Stephen's talking about um, he's talking about Abraham coming out of Mesopotamia. He's talking about Joseph's life. He's talking about Moses' life. I mean, he's just doing an amazing job of, of sharing the narrative of the Torah. If he had sat down after that, I'm sure all the ruling class, the Pharisees, everybody was there, they'd be clapping, right? But he doesn't. Because then he says this, and this is what gets him in trouble. You stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears. Where have we heard that before? You always resist the Holy Spirit. See, Stephen was doing this. Stephen was coming against them and their hearts and what they were putting, you know, salvation in, in a sense, way before Paul was. And here he is. He's right here. At Stephen's execution, but his name is Saul. Saul, it says in Acts 8, approved of his ex execution, and he led a great persecution against the church after that. Chapter 8 of Acts. And then in Acts 9, Saul, soon to be Paul, is blinded by a great light on the road to Damascus. Jesus meets him in a powerful way and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul's life is forever changed. And he becomes a powerful advocate for the church, even contributing 13 letters to the New Testament. Philippians 3, 7 through 9, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's all that matters. He met the Lord on the road to Damascus. His life forever changed. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as garbage, as street filth. There's, there's many ways of putting that. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. My friends, 
It'd be easy to think that we could just do enough acts, just enough good things. There's religious and religions in this world where at the end of your life, your good deeds are weighed against your bad deeds, right? And that's, that's what saves you in a sense. Imagine having a pocket full of pocket change. And this, this right here, hopefully we have a picture of this, is the Grand Canyon. There it is. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's an absolutely spectacular place. But imagine standing on the edge of that rock right there at the very top, looking down. Wow, right? And you got a handful of pocket change. And every single one of these coins represents a good deed that you can do, or that you've done, actually. And you take those, maybe you've done five good acts this day, and you throw them, and you try to fill the Grand Canyon with your good acts, right? Maybe you get all your Facebook friends to join you. Maybe you get all your Twitter friends to join you. Everyone, all their great, wonderful, good acts of kindness and goodness and everything else that we can just do in our flesh, represented by those coins, and just toss them over the edge. Okay, your whole life, my friend, You'd be filling the Grand Canyon, and I guarantee you, by the end of your life, you couldn't even see them in the bottom. There's no way we can fill the Grand Canyon, in a sense. There's no way we can do enough. Earning our righteousness one good deed at a time is not the way, because our good is never good enough in the eyes of a holy God. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, a filthy rag. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. But my friends, as believers in Christ, we have a confidence in him. And a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's contrasting those. Galatians 3.11, in fact, later, he says, Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The Greek word for righteousness and justice is actually the same word. It's dikaios. I'll say this. Dikai, dikaios, I should just read it. Dikaiosune, sorry, dikaiosune. I'm not Greek, dikaiosune. Um, basically, it means this. Our status with Almighty God, it's our, it's, our, it's our status. It's our right standing before God. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, he made him to be sin." who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's no other way. The Judaizers tried multiple things, following the law, circumcision, etc., for these Gentiles, but it's a righteousness that comes through God and what happened to Jesus, Right? God cannot ignore our sin. This is important to know this. And unrighteousness. He can't ignore that. But he's willing to acquit us of our guilt on the basis of Jesus' death on the cross. Where his blood covers over and pays the penalty for our sin. This is absolutely crucial to our faith, right? 
And because of what Jesus did for us, our identity is clear in Christ. And there's a few things that I want to mention about our identity. There's so many, many more things about our identity that we could talk about. But here's just three for this morning. Romans 8, 15 through 17, one of my, one of my favorite passages. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I love this idea about being adopted into the family of God. My friends, we can call the God who threw a million, million galaxies into, into uh, existence with the wave of his hand, the God of the universe. We can call him Abba, which means father. It's, it's a term of endearment. It, also, it means daddy, right? You can call the God of the universe daddy because we're in his family and we are children of God and heirs also of all that Christ provides for us. That's in his word and that's a promise. Another one of my favorite passages, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ Jesus reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. My friends, so often the past comes back to us, right? And the enemy is the accuser, and he comes back and he says, oh yeah, but you were this way. Oh yeah, and you did this. And how could God even love you? But he does, and you are a new creation, and you don't need to even look back at what the enemy tries to accuse you of today, right? Not only that, but we're reconciled to God through Jesus. And we have a ministry to others, which I think right now is pretty important, right? A ministry of reconciliation. Finally this, I told you there's, <laughs> we only really have time for three, so this is the third. Colossians 3, 12, uh, 12 through 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. My friends, that passage is packed right there. But we are God's chosen ones. We are holy and beloved through Christ. And he's given us, and he wants us to put on compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and to bear with one another and to forgive one another. This is how the family of God needs to be right now in this difficult time. 
So why count everything as Paul says? Why count everything we can gain from our own righteousness as loss? Paul says, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. And that I may know him, he says, as he wraps up Philippians 3, 10 and 11. And that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Knowing him and the power of his resurrection. You guys, Easter's coming, and I'm so excited to be able to celebrate that season with you. But as I close here, I want to share uh, a quick story and a few photos with you. In July, I took this photo. A friend of mine uh, had me preach at his church in Duval, Adventure Community. And that's the steeple there. I took a picture of it because of the cross on top. And that's a white dove on the top of that cross. And I thought, wow, this, this is a cool, a cool photo. And then 1.30 in the morning last week, so it hasn't even been a full week yet. This is that same church. It caught on fire and it burnt to the ground. My friend Jeff Hansen is the pastor there and that's, um, you can see it in the daylight. There's, there's truly nothing left of the church. Just two weeks ago, I preached there about how God is a God of reconciliation. He's a God of redemption. And he's a God of restoration. This next um, picture here, this is that same cross that you saw in the back of Jeff's truck. Today it's the only thing they have left from this beautiful uh, traditional church. Uh, it's, it's this cross and it stood at the highest point of this church representing Christ in that community for over 100 years. And I have to believe that someday this cross will once again be displayed at the highest point of a new church building that will be a testimony of God's faithfulness to rebuild and yes, restore and renew a house of faith for this community in Duval. As Isaiah says, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. My friends, we must never, ever forget the power of the cross in our lives. Without it, we have no hope of ever seeing God, the one who created us. And during this difficult time of uncertainty where fear and anxiety could easily overwhelm us, let us focus on knowing Christ like Paul did here. The one who overcame death. And may our faith in him and the power of his resurrection continue to bring us hope regardless of our circumstances. And we, may we recognize as Paul does in 2 Corinthians 4.17 that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far 
outweighs them all. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it's like a, a cup of cold water. It just washes over us, Jesus. I thank you that it, it changes us. And I thank you that we can have faith in Jesus. That there's nothing we can do, God, that's righteous enough for a holy God. But what Jesus endured on that cross for us covers over our sin and our shame and our inadequacies. Thank you. Be with us, Lord, throughout this week. Help us to stand strong and to, to be um, men and women who have eyes wide open that see you in all your glory, Lord, and are able to, to bring answers and to be um, your presence with those people around us. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. You know, before we end our time here, I have a few questions for us. As, as you remember, Tyler had some questions for us at the end as well. I want us to consider these questions throughout this entire week. Take, take a photo of your screen as they come up if you'd like or write them down or you can pull them off the church website uh, when this message gets posted. But plan on working on them with a friend or family or, or someone else, your life group maybe. You can have a good discussion about these even if you can't physically be together. So here's three, three questions to consider. How would the world describe a person as a good Christian? And how could that be different from what the Bible would say? Who is good, truly? So how would the world describe a person as a good Christian? And how could that be different from what the Bible would say? Who is good? So look through the Bible. Study the word this week. Who is good? Question number two. With all of our regular routines getting disrupted, right? What new spiritual rhythms or practices might this allow for? A few examples maybe. Um, take up journaling if you haven't been doing that before. Memorize some scripture. Practice fasting. Sit quietly with the Lord. Give him your anxiety, your burdens whatever's troubling you, just take that extra time because many of us have that right now. Do it in a new way. Do it in a new space. And what would that look like for you? And then finally this. And this I want you to do right now. Um, would you take five minutes after we end our time together here in just a second? Would you sit quietly with the Lord and ask him to show you just, just one specific act of love that you could express to your neighbor or to someone in your life today. Maybe you can't be with them physically, but obviously we've got the internet. Call them, email them, write them, do something. How could you show someone in your life a specific act of love that God's calling you to, to be his hands and feet during this time? Thank you so much, North Shore. It's been a pleasure being here this morning. Have an awesome, awesome week, and we will see you again next week at this time. Thanks so much. Take care.